position of outrageousness that kind of masked everything that was happening behind the scenes. By now, you've either seen or heard of Lifetime surviving R. Kelly's six-part docu-series. It's hard to stomach. Yeah, it was really hard for me to watch this one. And from what is being called a sex cult to all the signs that pointed to R. Kelly's sexual misconduct, E.T. is here to break down the top most shocking confessions from alleged victims, the biggest red flags, and the mute R. Kelly movement sparked after years of outrageous behavior with underage girls. We're going to stop it right there because that is a prelude to the show coming your way today. What those two cases show, I'm talking about R. Kelly cases against him uh, regarding the alleged sex occult, occult, abuse occult, that he's accused of uh, having for over 20 years. What those two cases show is that it takes networks of people to enable this type of behavior, a la Jeffrey Epstein, well, and so many more. Author of Solace, the case against R. Kelly, Jim Derogatis, will be joining the program today. The former Chicago Sun-Times reporter spent decades investigating the singer's troubled history with women, quote, everybody from the driver to the personal assistant, the person who books the airplane ticket, and makes the travel arrangements to the person who pays off the girls to be quiet. And the fact that Acosta's career is coming down in flames, he's part of the justice system that turned a blind eye. Now, in regards to the discussion that's coming your way momentarily, what a show this is going to be. One, Kelly Rogers has been in contact with me, and she is the mother of former, quote, R. Kelly girlfriend, Faith Rogers. She was invited to the program, but she uh, did not uh, respond to the invitation for her. So, coming at you in about a 10 minutes time, about 5.15 Eastern Standard, we'll be receiving Jim DeRogatis onto the program to mention a few of, well, what's on tap here for the program? Again, Discussion of Truth airs 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard every Wednesday. Okay, This is a Thursday edition, a special Thursday edition, of course, because we took a day of remembrance, if you will, and celebration, as is common throughout the Western world, in what is known as the Christ Mass holiday. Uh, coming your way to start off the new year. So that will be next week. We joined from England by Tobias Churchton. Years before Dan Brown's research came to light in form of the Da Vinci Code, Tobias, Oxford educated and British scholar, had long gained notoriety for his work within the Gnostic spiritual realm. His 1987 four part drama documentary for Channel 4. That's a UK television production, Gnostics, won a New York Times Festival Gold Award. And former Dutch theologian said about Tobias' work for Channel 4 that it would change the minds of millions. Giles K. 
Keyspell, if I pronounced that correctly. As of 2005, so 15 years now, Tobias has lectured at Exeter University, where he's an honorary fellow, in fact, a member. He holds an MA in theology from Brazenose College at Oxford. Born to an ancient Cheshire family in Sutton Coldfield, UK, Churchton is considered Britain's leading scholar of Western esotericism. A filmmaker, a poet, and composer, and author. He's known for acclaimed biographies on William Blake, Alistair Crowley, Elias Ashmole, and G.I. Gurdjieff. Having authored over 20 books, Churchton's current publication, Alistair Crowley in India, goes into the travels of Alistair Crowley in India through this mystical ancient land. By the way, it's my understanding, we confirm this later point, but I, I understand that Alistair Crowley was actually banned from Paris, and may have been banned by, from, from France altogether, not sure, but I know that, I, well, I have heard that Alistair Crowley was banned from his work in Paris. But who is this mystical creature, Alistair Crowley, that is so often uh, studied, if you will, by uh, musicians and other artists? Tobias Church will be joining us next week. That's how we'll be getting uh, kicking off uh, 2020. And by the way, 2020 will mark the third year of the program we know as Discussion to Truth. This will mark the third year for the program, Winwood Radio. Proceeding into the new year, January 8th, will be received be receiving, rather, former U.S. presidential candidate among the Democratic Party, Lester Lawrence Lessig III. He's an attorney, Harvard lecturer, and political activist. He holds the Roy L. Furman Professor of Law and Leadership at Harvard. He's a former director of Edmund J. Safra Center for Ethics at Harvard. And he's a supporter, supporter of net neutrality as he founded the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford University. He's also a former lecturer at University of Chicago. The New Yorker said this about Lawrence. He's the most important thinker on intellectual property in the Internet era. We know the Internet has changed and is changing the way we conduct ourselves in society. I believe one of the initial systems for the Internet uh, or communications thereof was from UCLA to Stanford. Um, and uh, of course it was a for, for, for many many years if not decades prior to that a public domain transmission uh, it was, uh, was a military form of communication within the military and my understanding is that the Queen of England was the first to have received uh, electronic mail as, as, as we know it okay uh, Lawrence will be discussing a few of his books and topics Republic Lost America compromised, and they don't represent us. And what does he mean by that? Furthering in our uh, journey into January, we'll be joined by Servando Gonzalez. This will be an incredible discussion. All these guests, of course, are most incredible, highly educated, well-written, well-versed, well-researched. Servando Gonzalez is a Cuban-born American historian and author. He studied and received his training as historian at the University of Havana in Cuba. This is what's really interesting about Servando. His publications and books, essays, and articles uh, vary from topics regarding Latin America, global intelligence communities, state and country espionage, and semiotics. Uh, Servando works include treason in America, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Partners in Treason, the CFA, excuse me, CFR, CIA, and the Castro Connection. Uh, something I think uh, is not often uh, looked at. Is there a connection between between the CFR? Are, have you even heard of the CFR? What do you know about the CFR? What is the CFR? Okay, it's on the uh, on the east side there of uh, Central Park in New York. Council on Foreign Relations. How is it connected to the CIA? And and one of the other interesting connections that I I, I often talk about because of uh, Charlotte Eiserbit and Anthony Sutton. Uh, Charlotte's a former guest on the program. The CFR, or the CIA rather, is closely connected, of course, to. Uh, the 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 the, three, uh, the skull and bone society, the the, the 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 secret society there at Yale University, and is it connected to the CFR? You betcha. 
uh, very closely connected uh, to that institution. Okay, so Servando spent a, spent a lot of time looking into that. He's written a, a number of books. Um, he's written on this topic of New World Order, which is found right on your uh, U.S. dollar bill, Novus Ordo Seclorum. What is the New World Order? Where does it stem from? And who controls the reins of it? Does it, does it link into the Bilderberg Group? Of course it does. Okay, and many people talk about the Bohemian Grove. And these are very wealthy uh, societies and meeting and organizations and, and groups uh, to exchange ideas and, and whatnot. And regard, well, look, at the bottom line, everybody wants peace. We, to, we all want peace, don't we? Of course, we all want peace. We want to hug our family at the end of the day. End of the day, uh, that's that's what we all strive for. Um, and so, what is the what is the main objective of the new world order? And what uh, is it? Is it is it theory or is it practice? Right, so uh, Servando goes into goes into goes into that, and this is what he says. He he, he takes it to another level, being a Cuban-born fellow, and uh, of course uh, born into Cuba prior to the Castro regime. I'm pretty sure. Um, quote: Far from being a failure, he says Castro's Cuba is a successful social experiment, a testing ground for the new world order. The people who plan the experiment have already began to implement it here in America says Servando Gonzalez. Political correctness was tested in Cuba before its implementation in the United States. And we know that being politically correct and this type of censorship on free speech has been an attack, uh, if you will, on your freedoms in the United States for uh, going on, oh, probably I'd say 200, or excuse me, 20 years. Okay, we're going to end uh, end July with Josh Reeves, the Dallas-based radio host and filmmaker. He's going to talk about his uh, most current film, the Spellcasters. Uh, and then looking down into March, uh, for instance, uh, we will be uh, receiving William Alba Blunden. Uh, the Root Kit, Arsenal, is one of uh, one of his books. Uh, and uh, he also goes into Behold, uh, the title of his book, Behold, A Pale Force, Cyberware Threat, Inflate, Infiltration, and Malwell Industrial Complex. That'll be Bill Blunden during the program down the road in 2020 into March. So on Slate, quite a few really wonderful guests. That includes uh, receiving Tom Hartman back onto the program. Uh, Tom Hartman uh, rated by Progressive Magazine, the number one number one uh, uh, talk show host by Progressive Magazine in, in the U.S. He has, uh, he has a, 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 I, think he, I think he airs his show Monday through Friday. I think he's got a three-hour slot, uh, and he writes... Uh, out of uh, out of his home in in, in New England, uh, Tom Hartman w- Hartman will be joining rejoining the program for a second time, uh, coming up here uh, in 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 2020. So I thank you for uh, listening to a discussion of truth. Uh, I thank you t- for supporting the podcast, um, and I also want to mention uh, Trying Day. Trying Day publisher will be picking up, or has picked up, and we've reached an agreement, uh, and, and will be publishing uh, Freedom Reserve, No More Lies, which is uh, my book that will be coming out again in the spring catalog of 2020. You can buy it right now. You, you can order it pre-sale via Amazon. Uh, you can also order it via Indigo Books based out of Canada. Those are the two uh, houses that are uh, offering uh, pre-sales of the book. Again, coming out, slated to come out in April of 2020. Again, Freedom Reserved, No More Lies. That is my uh, my current book that uh, will we'll be hitting uh, shelves in the market in, in a few months. If uh, you like what, what you hear here and the topics resonate with you, please go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash capital Zika, that's capital Z-I-K-A, Miami Beach, capital M and B. Type that into your web browser, and that gives you a solid basis of understanding why exactly I hit the airwaves once a week to bring to you a discussion of truth. Because I was exposed to that very controversial pesticide uh, in Miami uh, where Wynwood got hit with this and Miami Beach got hit with it. And from there, I came on this trail that uh, is, is just opening so many different doors and really helping me try to help you 
to dig and uh, research and find um, find what's really happening in, in what you call what is known, Trump uses the term all the time, the deep state. So what is that? Okay, and what is the concept of a new world order? And how can we, as average people, how can we step up and make the place better and make the world we live in a better place? Because again, like I said, that's the objective. That's what we, we all strive for at the end of the day. All right, so waiting standby for us is Jim DeRogatis. Who is Jim DeRogatis? Again, Jim is a former uh, journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, we will be Skyping him in, uh, in in just a second here. Just a second. Uh, we'll be bringing Jim onto the program. And here we go. Hello, Ian. Jim Derogatis. How are you, Jim? I, Happy, uh, Merry Christmas to you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining Windward Radio and Discussion of Truth. For listeners to understand, as I mentioned, you are a former reporter for the Chicago uh, Sun-Times, uh, and you have written for Rolling Stone, uh, Spin Magazine, Guitar World. Uh, you currently uh, have a show based there. Uh, uh, in, in Chicago with WBEZ Sound Opinions. Uh, that is a short and concise uh, introduction to you, Jim. Uh, take a moment and introduce yourself uh, outside of that for listeners to understand uh, who you are. Again, uh, Jim is joining the program to talk about Solus, the case against R. Kelly. Well, you know, Ian, I'm primarily a music critic. Uh, have been uh, through all those years at the Sun Times, 15 years. Sound Opinions airs on 125 public radio stations in the U.S., and I've written 11 books about music. Uh, and then there's this new book, Soulless: The Case Against R. Kelly, uh, which is a different sort of book. I mean, I started out as a uh, beat and investigative reporter in New Jersey. Uh, at the start of my career, writing about music for free for fanzines. And uh, sometimes you choose your stories when you're a journalist, and sometimes your stories choose you. And this Kelly story started for me in November 2000, and uh, it really hasn't ever stopped. We published the first piece in the Sun-Times, December 21, 2000, so 19 years ago, about what we called his... Uh, a habit of, of uh, you know, preying on underage girls for sex. And, um, you know, now uh, he faces 42 felony counts in two federal and two state trials, 195 years in prison if he's convicted on all accounts. Nobody in the history of popular music, Ian, has ever faced charges this far-ranging, this numerous, this dramatic uh, for preying on women. And let's face it, you know, in this art form I love, popular music, rock and roll, R&B, whatever you want to call it, uh, men have been treating women badly for a very long time, but nobody uh, has racked up charges like Kelly. Yeah, that's, that's uh, very exhausting to listen to. Uh, I open my show by letting listen, listeners know that I have been in communication with uh, the mother of Faith Rogers, uh, who who uh, actually reached out to me, I'm not sure if you, I'm sure you, you you're familiar with Sure, sure, I know Mrs. Rogers. Yeah, uh, they denied uh, requests. I didn't respond, and, 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 and but I did invite them to not to overlap your time on the program, but to but to but to give give her side and her experience with R. Kelly. So this is again, it's it's really exhausting to hear that type of thing because R. Kelly uh, is is so beloved in, in so many people's hearts and that's kind of the the magic if you will of music is that it really resonates within our soul and makes us happy and then to hear something like this on the flip side of course and, and you've been tracking this for 20 dec uh, 20 uh, two decades but to hear the flip side of this and how uh someone that is loved by so many can very possibly commit a very uh atrocious crime multiple times over the span of two decades then it's kind of like a shocker it's like well, wait a second this is uh you know it's kind of like oh wait I've, i was waiting for santa claus and then i see my 
you know, my my my, my father. Um, it's, uh, excuse me, for, excuse me. But but this is this is very shocking. What I want to kind of ask, and and I've and I've had a chance to kind of very briefly go through uh, go through the book. I wanted to ask you, uh, Jim, uh, if it's too far fetched. Have you found any link? Uh, because you know, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, the, that was that was an issue just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Is there any overlapping? Is there any kind of association there? Any link I, that you found? I think the similarities uh, between the Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein stories and R. Kelly's story is uh, very wealthy, powerful, well-connected men are able to get away with things that the bus driver the soccer coach would not be able to get away with. And, uh, you know, I think the similarities there are, uh, are intense. But the difference, Ian, is that, uh, you know, when Gwyneth Paltrow and Mira Sorvino and the beautiful actresses, superstars that Weinstein preyed on, uh, and with Epstein, you know, palling around with Prince Andrew and Alan Dershowitz and Donald Trump and Bill Clinton, um, you know, it, they were a little uh, quicker to be believed, those women, when they began to speak out. Yes. Whereas the thing that I have heard from dozens and dozens thousand is nobody matters less in American society than young black girls. Oh. Um, that's one thing. You know, we were not going to believe these victims. Um, and number two, I think that what you were saying earlier, the power of music, you know, Michael Jackson has had, whether we believe them or not, four young men credibly accuse him. He was tried by Santa were just added uh, three weeks ago. Um, You know, it's just extraordinary. And I understand the power of music. If, you know, believe me, it's my life, you know. Uh, If if Step in the Name of Love was your wedding song, if I Believe I Can Fly played at your kid's kindergarten graduation, if Ignition Remix was at every backyard barbecue you've ever been to, those songs are now yours as much as they are his. But uh, I think what activists like the two women in Atlanta who started Mute R. Kelly, they've been accused of being censors, uh, of cancel culture. I don't think that's what they're saying. What they're saying is be a wise consumer. If you can still listen to and enjoy this music, there's no right or wrong in art. But know the context and know the damage he has caused in the black community and know that your money is enabling him to continue that behavior. I mean, not anymore. The reason he's in jail uh, without bond, and I don't believe he'll ever be free again, is because he's really run out of money. He doesn't have the power and the wealth to fight these charges the way he did when even a half-hour video of him having sex with a 14-year-old girl surfaced in 2002. He was able to buy his way and delay that trial, buy his way uh, out of justice. Yeah, so you've you've been on this since uh, for, for two decades almost, uh, 19 years. And I found something in uh, talk.com, via the talko, the T-A-L-K-O.com. And, they, and they've got something back on him in 1991. That he was, uh, he, he was, he was having relations with a, uh, a then fifteen-year-old uh, promising yeah. woman, a singer. Uh, this 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 woman is Tia Hawking. Are you familiar Tiffany with Hawkins. that? Yeah. She was the first girl to try to stop him with a civil lawsuit after the state's attorney in Illinois denied criminal charges, had no interest in pursuing her criminal claim. Uh, she filed her lawsuit in 1996 on Christmas Eve. And we were the first to report it uh, in, on December 21, 2000. And Tiffany Hawkins really started the ball rolling. Kelly would go back to his high school choir class and pick up 15-year-old sophomores and 
Tiffany was one of them. There were five others, five of her friends, all 15 years old. And Tia was best friends with Aaliyah, who was 15, when uh, Kelly illegally married her in 1996. And Tiffany got to tour the world from the south side of Chicago with a voice like Whitney Houston's. She sang backing vocals with Aaliyah in Paris, Amsterdam, Rome, Rome London. And uh, Kelly rewarded her by, uh, you know, uh, sexual contact with her at 15 and five of her friends and her best friend Aaliyah. You know, there, there are literally dozens and dozens, 48 women whose names I know, lives have been ruined to one degree or another. When I say ruined, it sounds hyperbolic. But Tiffany tried to commit suicide after that that uh, illegal right. sexual contact with, with Kelly. Yeah, that that's that's what stuck out with me as well. And then also, you know, R. Kelly's a guy that's won over 100 awards in his, in his time and, and three, uh, three Grammys. Uh, but but he also was you you brought up Michael Jackson. He was also linked to Michael Jackson in that he wrote. I know he wrote at least one of uh, Michael Jackson's songs and hits. Yeah, he wrote he wrote Jackson's first number one hit after Jackson was accused of sex with underage boys. You were not alone. It was Jackson's uh, first number one hit after the scandal and the last of his career. And Kelly had originally written it about what he was going through after being separated from his 15-year-old bride, Aaliyah. And, uh, you know, Jackson was going through something similar. I mean, you know, what do these two musical superstars, you know, Kelly has sold 100 million records in his career. What do they talk about in the recording studio when they both came from exceedingly tragic and troubled and seemingly abusive childhoods and then became abusers themselves? It's it's just one of the saddest stories in the history of music. So, Jim, is there, assuming Michael Jackson, although never, never uh, formally found guilty of it, assuming that, that indeed he was at this Neverland ranch and outside of Santa Barbara, and assuming that he was uh, having uh, a, a, a sexual relations with, with underage boys, um, is there, is the, and then this R. Kelly link with the underage women or, or girls, uh, not hardly women, uh, is, there, is there maybe something underlying here within the, uh, the musical community? Um, not to, not to, not to, not to take away that, or segue, uh, or, or, or uh, pinpoint rather, uh, that these, that they, that the two of them are African American uh, musicians. But is there maybe something underlying within the music world? Well, I think that uh, you know, popular music has always given us an outlet for our uh, raciest, raunchiest feelings. You know, I mean, Rolling Stones. Uh, you know. Uh, the Beatles, you know, she was just 17, you know what I mean. Um, a quote that haunts me came from Kelly's half-brother, Carrie, who I spoke to in the book, and he said, if you listen to his music, that MFR was always talking about other sick blanks who were on the same wavelength as him. And, you know, Kelly's vast, the vast majority of Kelly's catalog is... I will pursue my pleasures, my sexual pleasures, wherever I desire without uh, regard to my partner. And then there's, you know, maybe a quarter of the material is Sunday morning falling to his knees. Uh, Father, forgive me. Uh, I have I'm a horrible sinner. I don't know how you can forgive me. You know, he never enumerated what those sins are. But if we are to read 42 state and federal indictments, it's now crystal clear because the video, apparently, in 2008, he was acquitted, he was tried. The girl never testified, her mother never testified, her father never testified. She was 14. 14 witnesses did identify her and confirm uh, that he had a relations, uh, he had sexual contact with her when she was 14. But now we know, according to the federal indictment from New York, that uh, the girl, the mother, the father were paid off. Paid off to lie to the grand jury and not to testify. You know, Kelly successfully gamed the system better than anybody since O.J. Simpson, better than, than anybody you can name. Uh, but it, it's, you know, now the money has run out. You know, uh, he cannot afford four $850 an hour attorneys as he had for six and a half years. Yeah, yeah. And, and that sounds, 
the other link here is that you know uh, age ain't nothing but a number this is a, a hit song that that he'd written uh i think he wrote for Aaliyah. is that correct yeah for Aaliyah. He, he titled that song uh titled the album produced her album uh, when she was 15, uh, a student at the Detroit High School of the Performing Arts, and then, uh, you know, began sexual contact with her, as he had with all of her backing singers and, and their friends. And, uh, you know, it, it all of this happened in full view of the world, you know, and people just discounted it as a rumor. Well, you know, maybe she's 15, maybe she's 18. We don't know what really happened. His record company denied it. Uh, her managers denied it. Everybody denied it. And he got away with it. And he continued to get away with it. You know, if victim number one was 1991, that's an extraordinary amount of time until he was finally thrown in jail awaiting trial, awaiting four trials, uh, you know, earlier this year. It's, uh, it, it saddens me. As someone who loves music and believes in the power of music to change our lives, to think of it used as a tool of the predator to corrupt and ruin lives is, you know, because there's no denying Kelly's uh, musical genius. Um, uh, to have that gift and to use it to pursue, uh, you know, uh, causing this kind of pain to so many women and to have the record, you know, everybody from the tape operator and the, the gopher and the security guys around him to the heads of his record company, Jive Records, Barry Weiss and Clive Calder, everybody knew. Uh, and everybody in Chicago failed those young women, the court system, the civil attorneys, the journalism's uh, journalism aside from the Sun Times, uh, the radio industry, uh, the publicists, the record industry. You know, it's just horrifying. The churches, nobody uh, cared about these young black girls. Yeah. And you you really need a, a like a community watchdog. And, and unfortunately, I think it's kind of like the, the mother that stays at home and gets beaten by her. By her husband, she's afraid to call the police. She's afraid to come out and say something. Um, what has been the response from lo uh, black leaders like Reverend Jackson or Louis Farrakhan? Jackson uh, uh, refused to talk to me for this book. The uh, his his organization, uh, Rainbow Push Coalition, uh, would bus children in uh, grammar school children seventh, eighth grade to Kelly's court appearances in the mid 2000s with free R. Kelly t-shirts. He happened to be giving a lot of money to uh, Jackson's right hand man, the Reverend James Meeks, who was his spiritual advisor. You know, nobody spoke out. Um, in Chicago, it's, it's a very big, small town, you know, mm -hmm. but in, in America in general, black superstars on the level of R. Kelly. It was a small community in Chicago with that kind of money and that kind of power. Michael Jordan, well, Jordan, uh, you know, tapped Kelly to put I Believe I Can Fly in Space Jam, his movie where he played basketball with Bugs Bunny. Oprah, Oprah had to know. Oprah had to know, and Oprah never spoke out. The Obamas never spoke out, but they're not the only ones. You know, nobody in the music industry spoke out um, to be certain. Uh, Kelly is where he is today because so many black women had the courage to do the most difficult thing any woman can do, which is to rip out their soul and talk about their sexual abuse to a fat white rock critic. <laughs> go yeah. or to go on the record and tell their story. Uh, <laughs> those women have stopped uh, uh, Kelly. And, you know, I, I think when America saw them early this year in January uh, in Surviving R. Kelly, that six-hour docu-series on Lifetime that Dream Hampton, brilliant uh, black uh, woman, put together. Uh, you know, and there's going to be another five hours that begin airing January 2nd this year. Um, I, I think that finally, you know, I was having these experiences for years, sitting with these women uh, for hours and then telling their stories. And then suddenly, woman after woman after woman is on camera uh, and you know, they're, they're not doing this to get famous. They were vilified, uh, dismissed as gold diggers, liars, uh, you know, still to this day, the amount of social uh, media hatred that they're receiving, it, it's great courage that, that they have spoken out. So Jim, you've been covering this for, for 20 years. Um, and, and you've, you've been sounding the, the alarm, uh, uh, for, for over that course uh, of time. What was, what was, what was the first what was the first thing that kind of tipped you off to, hey, wait a second, 
here's this here's this great singer uh, that's selling a ton of albums, but he's doing something illegal. What what, what tipped you off? Well, you know, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, two thousand, I had uh, just reviewed on its release date uh, Kelly's fifth album, TP2.com, and uh, I got a fax at the Sun Times that said. Dear Miss Dear Goddess, you compared R. Kelly to Marvin Gaye. Well, Marvin Gaye had his problems. They were nothing like Robert's. Robert's problem is young girls. And I got to confess, Ian, I threw it in the slush pile. I thought this was a player hater, somebody trying to down a successful black superstar. I got a lot of hate mail. Whenever I wrote about hip hop, that's not music, it's noise, right? You know, Chicago's a city with a racial divide. Um, but something bothered me over the holiday. There were a lot of specifics in that fax, more than a mere rumor monger would have had. And I went back to the office on Monday and I read it carefully. And it mentioned the Tiffany Hawkins lawsuit, the first lawsuit that tried to stop him. I mean, there have since been uh, uh, almost a dozen um, uh, civil lawsuits. And the girls were going to the civil courts not to get rich, but because the the, the uh, cops, the feds, they, nobody was interested in pressing criminal charges, you know, until the videotape surfaced. And I got to confess, in 2002, February, when I got this 26-minute, 39-second video of Kelly having sex with a 14-year-old uh, and urinating in her mouth, a horrifying <laughs> document of a rape. Um, it's a statutory rape. It's, it's, it, it became the P-tape because of that fetish, you know, Dave Chappelle and black comedians. But it was not. It was the rape tape. Um, I thought he was done then. I thought he was done when our first story ran in 2000. I thought he was done when the videotape surfaced in 2002. He was acquitted in 2008. You know, it, it, why justice took this long for so many young black girls, it's just a travesty. And that's why I wrote the book, because this is, it was a dark and horrible place to live, to finish the story of that book, uh, you know, and much less to do that reporting for 19 years. But I think the book is necessary because above and beyond R. Kelly, we have to wonder how this was able to happen and what does it say uh, that the music industry kind of applauded it? You know, because I mean, Lady Gaga was recording with him in 2013. Gaga, a champion of female empowerment, uh, you know, records a single that he wrote, Do What You Want With My Body. Wow. You know, I mean, people were, I think people were drawn to Kelly, artists and listeners, uh, in part because of the sexual sure. taboos that he was talking about. Right, right. That makes sense. I mean, that, that totally makes sense. Uh Jim, uh, Chicago is famously known for mafia. We talk about Al Capone. In fact, Al Capone had a house uh, in uh, uh, you know, right off Miami Beach in, in one of the islands. Um, uh, uh, have you found any ties to, to the Chicago mob? You know, um, Kelly's lead defense attorney in the trial in 2008, it took six years after the tape surfaced in 2002 to go to trial in 2008. He was acquitted. Kelly's lead attorney was a famous uh, self-professed, he used this term, mob lawyer, uh -huh. Ed Jensen. Um, and only a couple of months ago, Eddie's on his deathbed, uh, having defended innumerable mobsters, murderers, and R. Kelly. On his deathbed, he gave an interview to uh, another reporter at the Sun-Times. Yeah, we all knew Kelly was guilty as hell. I was surprised he got off. You know, but Eddie was making $850 an hour for six and a half years. And uh, he was happy to take that money. He was happy to hold press conferences in his office with pictures of his grandchildren, who were white, on his desk. And to dismiss the damage Kelly had done to black kids that same age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a mob connection, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, now you mentioned the, the Obamas. The other, the other mob yeah. connection. Go ahead, Jim. You know, the New York case, the federal case out of the uh, Eastern District of New York in Brooklyn, is charging him uh, not only with violating the Mann Act, uh, transporting minors across state lines for sexual purposes. That's what they got Chuck Berry on in the 50s. Um, it's also uh, a RICO case, federal racketeering. They are charging him under the same laws 
operating a criminal enterprise to pursue these illegal sexual relationships the same way they go after mob families like the Genovese's or the Gambinos or the drug cartels. Nobody in the history of music's ever been hit with a RICO case. Yeah, this sounds uh, this sounds really really nasty. Uh, does he stand any chance? I, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's got any chance to uh, to get out of, get out of this alive. Does he stand any chance? I don't think there's any chance in hell that all forty two felony indictments will be dismissed. Yeah. In two states and in two federal cases. Um, you know, I think even at this, you know, he's fifty three. Uh, even a plea deal. You're talking a decade, two decades, three decades. I don't think he's going to breathe fresh air again. And he doesn't have the money to, to, to support. It sounds like he's uh, he spent all, all the all the money he's made. Most he did, with innumerable settlements with underage women in exchange for non-disclosure agreements. You asked about the connections with Epstein and, and Harvey Weinstein. I mean, those non-disclosure agreements. Women uh, are hurt by a powerful man, and they take his money and are, are forced to sign an agreement that they will never speak about it. It's a loophole in American law that these things are allowed to exist uh, because women are paid off and the problem, quote unquote, goes away uh, while the predator continues praying. And, and it's just a horrifying, uh, you know, I, I think the times have shifted. You know, the Me Too movement, which, you know, uh, is, is in full flower. You know, we like to think we're making progress. On the other hand, you look at the Supreme Court hearing for Judge Kavanaugh, uh, not making, not making progress that quickly and not that much, but at least people are talking about it. People are fed up with it. Kelly, uh, you know, the mute R. Kelly movement started by, uh, Orenike and, uh, Kenyette out of Atlanta, uh, you know, succeeded in in making people realize that their money is going to a monster and RCA has dropped him and he has no money. And, you know, his Spotify numbers are still really good. Every time he's in the news for a new accusation, more people stream his music. What does that say about society? It's 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 pretty damn sad, uh, I think. Uh, but. Money-wise, he's never, you know, he sold 100 million records, the money's gone, and he's sitting in jail. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Tarana Burke, uh, she's uh, really incepted the Me Too you, you, uh, movement. Uh, she's a former former guest on, on the program. Uh, extraordinary ahead. woman. Extraordinary woman. Jim, uh, do, you, do you think the Obamas knew what was going on and they kept mute? I think everybody in Chicago knew, Ian. Uh, Ian uh, you know, it... Uh, uh, especially at that level um, of, you know, you know, Chicago does not have that many superstars, does not have that many rich, famous, powerful black people. And it was never a secret. You know, if you talk to five women on the south or west side of this city, um, four of them are going to have stories about seeing Kelly cruising the uh, Evergreen Plaza shopping mall or the Rock and Roll McDonald's or uh, Kenwood Academy High School. Uh, you know, uh, their auntie, their cousin, their sister, uh, you know, somebody has had an experience with him, uh, not necessarily uh, sexual contact, but him hitting them up when they were clearly 14, 15, 16 years old. It is. It has never been a secret, you know, and, and it, I feel guilty that when my first story ran December 2000, I felt like we were already nine years late to that story. Because as you said, yeah. you know, Tiffany Hawkins, who, you know, never spoke to anyone, finally spoke to me for this book in January of this year. And now she's going to be in these next five hours of surviving R. Kelly that uh, beginning airing in January. It's uh I kind of feel like it has finally come full circle. So the question, it's probably on your list somewhere. You know, Jim, uh, if they're working so hard on this for so long, do you feel satisfaction? Do you feel vindicated? And, you know, I repeat what these women have told me. Yeah. It's all too little, too late. Yeah, I mean, this uh, Hawkins has got to be in her 40s now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's a, a mother of two, a uh, professional woman. Uh, she's one of the ones that got out OK. You know, uh, went to college with the baby on her lap, got her master's degree, uh, works in the medical field. Others are, are, are suffering significant damage. You know, a lot of these women are, um, uh, you know, just kind of an emotional mess. 
And especially after they had the courage to speak out and then found themselves not being believed, being dismissed, you know, gold diggers, liars, um, you know, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. I think that the Weinstein actresses have fared much better. I think that Epstein's victims have fared much better, but we still don't believe these black women. Yeah. Um, Jim, uh, last week we hosted Jim Potash, uh, John Potash, pardon me, uh, and he, he's gone into, he's a Columbia University educator, he's gone into with a CIA involvement in drugs. We don't, we don't do mu music, uh, per se. We, we do corruption on any level on this program, but, but what he's found is the CIA involvement in manipulating uh, uh, people's lives, uh, and he uses uh, Jimi Hendrix as uh, Kurt Cobain, uh, two, two, uh, two examples. Do you think... It's possible, Jim, do you think uh, R. Kelly, even though his, his appetite uh, got the best of him, and uh, for uh, it just disgusts me to think that this guy was doing what he was doing for, for uh, three decades um, and the, the, the number of women he destroyed, um, do you think there could be an angle to this where, uh, where, where R. Kelly is possibly, um, possibly a victim? Um, think about all the talented people in this country. Uh, you know, not to say that R. Kelly, uh, R. Kelly didn't hit the right stream at the right time, but did he somehow? Um, did he some? Was he somehow manipulated? Do you think? I well, you know, I tell the story in Solace. He was a victim of child sexual abuse himself. Uh, okay. By an older woman in the family. Uh, it has since come out that it was an older sister. And by an older man in the neighborhood that they called uncle, but he wasn't really related. Um, you know, he scratched the surface of that in his autobiography, uh, Soul uh, Coaster. Um, you know, and a lot more detail has since come out. And I've interviewed, you know, half a dozen of the leading uh, child sexual abuse experts in America. And what they say is that most often the victims of child sexual abuse um, become advocates for other children. They become fighters to stop it from happening to other kids. Uh, but on rare occasions, the victim of sexual abuse becomes an abuser himself. And that's clearly what happened with Kelly. So the book is not without empathy. But when you think that the first victim was 1991, the first lawsuit was 96, the Aaliyah scandal was 96, um, our first story was 2000, the videotape surfaces in 2002, miraculously he's acquitted in 2008. He never stopped. Yeah. He never stopped. I mean, how many wake up calls to get help does one need? And, and the thing that crystallized it for me early on was one of his right hand people who uh, was a road manager said night after night after night, there can be 20 beautiful half naked girls in the the backstage room and they all want to be with R. Kelly and they're all 22, right? And night after night after night, there's that one girl in the corner, shy and, and acne ridden and staring at her shoes, 14 or 15 and night after night, that's the girl he goes for. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh, that's yeah. nasty. It gave me the creeps when, when they put it that way. And I finally understood. Yeah. So now Jim, is there a bill? Cosby connection? No. Um, no. Uh, Monique Presley? What's that? Monique Presley? Well, money, money. You know, having the money, being able to get away with it. You know, it, what's interesting, I mean, Cosby obviously was America's dad, right? He kind of transcended color. And we all felt like we knew Dr. Huxtable because he's in our living room, right? In, in the sweater. You know, Kelly... Uh, consciously, like many people in popular music, played the bad boy, you know, and and was, by his admission, the sexual super freak, by his favorite nickname, the Pied Piper of our... Right, right. You know? um, uh, so he's playing the bad, uh, you know, the super sexual yeah. freak, um, unlike Cosby. And I think it's almost like in the Trump era, the bigger the sin, if you committed in public and brag about it, people think, well, that can't possibly be true. But, you know, again, 1996, age ain't nothing but a number. It's a confession right there. Right. You know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. and it, he never hid this. People just weren't willing 
to believe his victims telling the story. Yeah, it was manipulation in plain sight. Um, uh, and and speaking to the Pied Piper, maybe you can talk about that because you've got uh, you know, opening your book for listeners, and you, you when you start opening the pages to this uh, this book, uh, you've got a you've got a quote or a poem rather uh, from the Pied Piper. Um, Poem by Gota, a poem by Gota about the Pied Piper. It's a fascinating story. In medieval Germany, uh, the legend was that there was this rat catcher, uh, and he, he rid this town that was infested with vermin of their rats, and the townsfolk uh, decided to stiff him and not pay him, and uh, he got revenge on them by luring their children to their deaths. My goodness. Oh. You know, and so Kelly has always denied that he didn't know that story, that he just used flute sounds. In, in there was a period there where he had a couple of remixes in a row that were heavy on the flute, um, you know, which is hard to believe. At yeah. some point, somebody would have said to him, uh, you know, Robert. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> An ill-advised nickname given the accusations that have that you've gotten away with. Right. You know, I really think there's an element of Dostoevsky crime and punishment here. I think he's wanted to be caught for a very long time. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, I mean, sure. It's like, uh, right, right. Uh, wait, wait, where does this Pied Piper label come from? Is this something that he, that he applied oh, he, himself? He, he claimed it. He claimed it. Oh, boy. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in two or three of the different songs, he has a shout-out, hey, y'all, it's the Pied Piper of R&B. Uh, I mean, he sang it himself. You know, um, it, there was a very weird track released a year and a half ago, I admit, which is in the style of Trapped in the Closet, which will stand as the last piece of new music he really released, I admit. It's 19 minutes long. It's this weird operetta. And, you know, he admits he's done done some things. But, you know, parents, if you're going to push your girls at me, uh, you know, don't be blaming me. Uh, and, you know. <laughs> Uh, it, it's really weird. I mean, it amounts to a confession and a protest that he doesn't think he's done anything wrong. And he also gives me a shout out, Jim DeRogatis or whatever <laughs> your name is. name you've done made a career. Well, you know, as I said, I have a radio show on 195 public radio stations. I've written 11 books. I'm a professor at Columbia College, Chicago. Uh, you know, Robert, I've done a few other things besides this story, which, right. you know, has I, I never smoked before I started this story. Uh, I was married to someone else when I started this story. Uh, you know, uh, boo-hoo, poor me. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think you're a journalist, Ian. If a woman calls you and says, I've been hurt. No one is listening to me. I know you've done work on this. Can I tell you my story? I don't think you're a journalist. I don't think you're a human being. Yeah. yeah. If a woman who's been raped, who's been sexually assaulted, says, I need some help, uh, I don't know how you walk away from that. And Jim, will you be called to testify at some point? You've been called to testify in a previous case for R. Kelly. Will you be called to testify again? I hope not. No. Uh, you know, Illinois, like many states in the U.S., has a shield law. When I was called to testify in 2008, the judge, uh, a rotten, corrupt SOB, uh, trampled on the First Amendment and the reporters' protections. You know, every single thing that I have confirmed – uh, with 10 sources and, and a dozen documents I have printed in Solus and in 19 years of reporting. Yeah. Um, the only thing I have that, that you know, I mean, you're going to call me to the stand. I'm going to refuse to testify because I will not name the names of, of women who uh, uh, spoke to me uh, but have not gone on the record. And to be clear, there are dozens that have now gone on the record. But I will not name a source who said to me, I need to tell my story, but I can't put my name to it. And Robert was arrested just after the release of this book. Is that correct? Yeah, that was nice timing. Uh, he was arrested uh, outside his luxury condo uh, in Trump Tower, Chicago. Uh -huh. Can't make this stuff up as he was uh, walking his dog. Um, and he hasn't been free since. You know, the federal government uh, did it quietly. There was no press conference. There were just these two uh, extraordinary charging documents, one from the Eastern District of New York, one from the, uh, the, the federal offices in Chicago. And, uh, you know, 
I was it was extraordinarily powerful to read uh, these forty two charges and say, "Wow, okay, they have finally got him on everything I've reported for nineteen years." Yeah, and and, and you've got to be a major a major reason why why he's in jail. No, again, it's those women who talk to me. Okay, yeah, you know, good, good, good point. Those yeah. women who talk to me. It's it's you know it, to be clear, it's a good story. It was a story, but it's a story I would gladly have gotten rid of a very long sure. time ago. Yeah. You know, um, uh, it's just that uh, nobody cared about about these women. I, I I don't understand that. You know, my daughter is is white. So am I. She's twenty two. I I just never saw the difference between her. And many of these girls who talked to me, not 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 Tia Hawkins in the beginning, not Joy Savage and Azrael Clary, these these two women in their early 20s who are still supporting, you know, championing him now. Um, it's not unusual. You said earlier about domestic abuse. If you talk to any cop on the beat, uh, nine times out of 10, they go to a domestic violence call and the women can can be battered and bleeding. And they'll say, oh, it was all just a big misunderstanding. Uh, I love him and he loves me. Right. And a lot of that, you know, there are still some women who uh, say that about Kelly. Um, you know, it's 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 just tragic. Uh, it is almost a hypnotic power that he has. Right. Yeah, there's something here. It's just it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about Sound Opinions, WBEZ. Yeah, well, soundopinions.org for people who are not uh, in Chicago. You know, we've been doing it uh, uh, for 10 years. Uh, Sound Opinions is a weekly, hour-long music talk show. You know, I mean, look, hey, people who love music, you and me, if we were getting a beer, we might be sitting on the couch in the basement playing records for each other that we're excited about and ranting and raving about something that we thought uh, is a piece of crap. Um, this is how people who love music uh, react, you know, to it. Um, interact. You know, and Greg Cott is the rock critic at the Chicago Tribune. I was the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. It's two music geeks uh, talking, and you're, you're the third person on the couch at home. <laughs> Excellent. And Jim, what is next for you? Uh, you're going to continue, obviously, monitoring the R. Kelly situation. What is next for you outside of that and sound opinions? I want to get back to uh, to writing a book about uh, about the power of music to save our lives. I think right now, um, you know, it's 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 like mere entertainment. You know, we can Spotify anything in two seconds, and uh, uh, but I don't know. My life has been defined by uh, music in a particular way, and I think that that power still exists. Certainly, when I teach. Uh, you know, first year students at Columbia College, Chicago, uh, I, you know, it's one in 10, you know, and nine, 90% of them may, may say, oh, it's just entertainment, you know, and the, right. but the, for one in 10, it's a way to live your life. Yeah. Uh, some parting words for listeners and, uh, and I'm assuming the book can be found at amazon.com. Yeah, it's, uh, it's everywhere and there's going to be five more hours of surviving R. Kelly, the reckoning you know, on Lifetime and uh, starting January 2, I, uh, uh, I did some extensive interviews uh, and I've seen it and it's, it's really powerful. Jim, but the book, the book is the whole story. Excellent. Jim uh, DeRogatis, ladies and gentlemen. Jim, thank you for joining Discussing Your Truth and Winwood Radio. Happy holiday season to you, sir. Yeah, thank you. Jim DeRogatis, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Jim, Jim's current book, uh, Solace, The Case Against R. Kelly. Get at Amazon.com. Uh, we appreciate Jim for, for, for joining the program. This is a happy holiday uh, to you uh, folks out there. Uh, again, this is Ian Trottier. I come to you Wednesdays. Apart from today, this is a Thursday. And in fact... Next week will also be the 1st of January. That'll be Wednesday next week, 1st of January. I come typically every Wednesday at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time today and next week. I'll be bringing to you an incredible discussion next week on Thursday. Tobias Churchin will be joining the program, and he will be speaking about a very controversial figure in U.K. history, but yet many Americans are captivated by the work that this fellow did mystically. Uh, and he is co he does coincide, I believe, at Cambridge. Was it Cambridge? 
uh, 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 Alistair Crowley studied at Cambridge, I'm pretty sure, uh, alongside at the same time, maybe not alongside, but the same time as John Dee. And if you don't know, John Dee was one of, I believe it was Queen Victoria at the time, maybe corrected, uh, one of uh, her uh, most secretive spies, or rather close, uh, close-kept uh, spies. And that is where one Ian Fleming came up with his 007 James Bond story. That is a close connection to uh, the study he had done on John Dee. So, anyway, John Dee, closely connected to Aleister Crowley, and we'll be joined next week by Tobias Churchin. Tobias Churchton, uh, we calling from from the uh, from the UK again. His recent book, Alistair Crowley in India: The Secret Influence of Eastern Mysticism on Magic and the Occult. For today, and Jim Derogatis, his new book, Solace: The Case Against R. Kelly. You've listened to a discussion of truth with Ian Trottier. I am he. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram. That's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R, both handled. Uh, contribute uh, to the program, if you will. You can do that by making a donation at com. That's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R.com. Uh, and getting ready in spring of 2020, you can order now. Pre-sale via Indigo Books in Canada or even on Amazon. Freedom Reserved. No More Lies. Trying Day Publisher. And until next week, be awesome.